0: Some unexpected, unpleasant news coming from the VMAG for one of the Seahawks' biggest young stars. Rob Rang and I'll be breaking it all down on our latest installment of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings 12 this is Corbin Smith host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast your daily Seahawks podcast part of the Locked On podcast network your team every day glad to be joined as always by my co-host in crime Rob Rang and a special thanks to all the 12s out there whether you're listening from Delaware or you're overseas in Portugal thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen Five days a week. As we continue the final phase of the offseason program, we're going to be continuing to look at Seattle's incoming rookies today. It's Cameron Young, the fourth round draft pick out of Mississippi State. We'll revisit the depth chart, some more changes today along the interior defensive line for the Seahawks. And we'll be taking a close look at the competition set to play out at center. Who do the fans think is going to start in week one? And who Rob and I think is going to start in week one jam-packed episode coming your way, so let's get to it. Now for your lead story here on our Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. This time of year, it's unfortunate when you hear about injuries, especially ones that are of the bizarre nature, and that's certainly where Tariq Woolen's injury is going to fall under. Out for the rest of OTAs, the rest of the off-season program, underwent knee surgery, arthroscopic knee surgery, This morning in Texas and Rob, according to Adam Schefter of ESPN, he injured his knee walking on the practice field last week. That is up there with, I believe it was Sammy Sosa that had a sneeze and he ended up being on the the disabled list in baseball for like three months with back spasms. There's been some other times where guys have tripped over dogs going downstairs. I don't know that this is that crazy, but an injury while walking on the practice field to his knee that required surgery, I guess the good news is the Seahawks expect that he's going to be ready to go well before training camp starts at the end of July. Nonetheless, not the type of news fans want to hear in late May.
1: No, exactly. I, I think that uh, when when Seahawks fans first heard that Tariq Woolen had undergone knee surgery after sustaining the injury, um, you know, during last week's uh, OTAs, I, I think that there was a lot of uh, you know cardiac arrest uh, type of issues that were happening around um, you know the, the Seattle Seahawks fandom area. Um, but as you said, Corbin, um, you know, th- this is a, a very minor arthroscopic procedure, um, and uh, and so that is the grain of salt that Seahawks fans can take from this and also i think that it kind of goes back to just the um the the wise decision to go with the best player available strategy um, because I think they just, this just proves what we've often talked about is that in the NFL it can stand for not for long and as, as confident as the Seahawks were feeling just a couple of weeks ago about their secondary um, an injury like this can obviously ha- leave you pretty shaken pretty quickly but again the most important thing here is that it looks like this is a relatively minor injury a relatively minor procedure and that Tariq Wilkins should be good to go and back on the field for the CX and training camp arrives in late July.
0: Yeah, there's no such thing as an easy surgery or an unconcerning surgery, but this is about as unconcerning as it gets. Now, this is just me speculating based on what I've heard. Nobody that I've talked to has told me what the actual injury is, but with the timeline being four to six weeks and at most eight weeks, if everything falls into place, four to six is what I was told. That sounds like something related to maybe trimming of the meniscus or something like that, that yes, that still sounds like a significant surgery. And like I said, there's not a existing thing called a non concerning surgery. I mean, you're going to be concerned regardless, but this is as minor as it comes for knee surgeries. And so I think fans can take a breath, take a deep breath, sigh of relief, whatever you need to do. He's going to be back out there for training camp because, again, we're looking at a four- to six-week window most likely for him to recover from this, whatever the surgery ended up being, if it was meniscus-related or if it was something else minor. He's expected to be back well before the end of July. They're not going to rush him back to participate in their off-season program stuff here the next four weeks. That's not going to happen, but they're going to make sure that he's ready to go for the start of the season. He should be out there in training camp. With that being said, The Seahawks did make a roster move, bringing back veteran Artie Burns, which now looks pretty savvy. Now, I was told they were planning to bring him back before this injury happened to Tariq Woolen, just to have another veteran presence in their secondary. Never a bad thing to have too many of those kind of guys back there, especially somebody like Burns, who has played both sides at outside corner. But now that's going to be especially critical with having Devin Witherspoon getting all those reps as a rookie and Mike Jackson, Trey Brown still being pretty young players. Having a veteran like Burns who has started a lot of games in the NFL back in the fold makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah, it absolutely made sense. I mean, it made sense even before the Woolen News, and it obviously makes that much more sense now. Um, but um, I, to me, that that is – one of the things that you have to kind of appreciate about the fact that the Seahawks have had good play from their, their cornerbacks—that's that's been uh, obviously one of Pete Carroll's great strengths going all the way back in his college, in his coaching career—and um, and because you you have some a good player in Artie Burns who is available to be picked up at, at this point. So that, again, it's kind of the the relationship that Seattle has built with some of the, their formerly signed players. Um, I, I I to me, the most interesting thing about this is the fact that uh, obviously. Woolen, um, you know, was unable to participate in the OTAs going on right now, and the fact that Mike Jackson switched over from his side to Woolen's side with Witherspoon playing uh, you where it's expected. And so to me, what that suggests is that the Seahawks themselves don't view this as that serious of a deal. They are going to show off the versatility of the aforementioned Artie Burns as well as Mike Jackson, those veterans showing their ability to be able to play on both sides, allow Witherspoon to be able to play on that right side and uh, and have – um, uh, have Trick and be able to come back and, and lock down um, in his customary position as well once he gets back from the injury.
0: Yeah I think that this really just benefits every other corner here for the next three or four weeks that's going to be healthy enough to play and really the big winner to me just because he didn't get to do this last year Trey Brown we know how well he played as a rookie before he had his patellar tendon injury and then didn't return till midway through last season and could barely get on the field because Mike Jackson was playing well on the left side. So this is going to give him an opportunity now without Tariq Woolen being out there that he can make up some of that lost time and get a lot of reps. Maybe they'll look at him in the slot some as well, but this gives him a chance to get reps. Mike Jackson can show off his versatility playing both sides. And maybe Kobe Bryant will play some on the outside as well. So this really does benefit the other guys. And I know some fans are going to be bummed about this, but Tariq Woolen being a pro bowler last year, you're going to be okay without him getting these reps right now. He's obviously still a somewhat raw player, which is crazy considering how well he played last season, but you're going to be able to get him back in training camp. You're going to be able to get him up to speed. And he's a phenomenal athlete. That's going to help him shake off the rust pretty quickly. So, this shouldn't be something that worries Seahawk fans, especially when you see what the player is already posting on Instagram today after the surgery. He said surgery was smooth and he appreciates the love. So, again, it's an arthroscope need to carefully work, but he should be ready. For the start of training camp. And if he does miss the early stages of camp, it's not going to be a huge deal because they did bring in Artie Burns. You've got Trey Brown, Mike Jackson, and Devin Witherspoon, your number five overall pick. There's still plenty of talent out there. Even Isaiah Dunn coming back as well. That's another player that could get some snaps for them. They're going to be in good shape and they expect they're going to get Woolen back. So don't hit the panic button at this point, Seahawk fans. Not the news you want to hear in late May, but everything's going to be okay. Reek the Freak should be back in plenty of time for training camp. Coming up next here on our Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks, Seattle waited till the fourth round to get a defensive tackle, but they're bullish on their new nose tackle, Cameron Young. We're going to talk about why, looking at strengths, some of the weaknesses he needs to work on coming into the NFL, and revisiting the depth chart in the interior defensive line. We'll get to those here in a moment on our Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs because right now new customers can get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to points scored, and three-pointers drained. I'm a huge fan of player prop parlays. You can make bets such as Jimmy Butler to score 20 points at negative 1,100. That tells you how good he's been playing in the playoffs with those kind of odds. Plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. There's no better place to bet on all the playoff action than America's number one sportsbook. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, official sports betting partner of the NBA. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. For our everydayers out there, I'll be teaming up with Dallas Cooper tomorrow. We're going to dish out our first 53-man roster projections of the spring. Offense, defense, special teams, first three in Last three out, it's going to be a lot of fun. We're looking forward to that show. You won't want to miss it. The Seahawks waited till the fourth round to upgrade their interior defensive line. That caught a lot of fans and media experts off guard. Rob raising his hands as well. Cameron Young being the first one they chose, however, in the fourth round, 123rd overall selection. And this is a player that you were all over throughout the pre-draft process as somebody that the Seahawks might target at the nose tackle position and sure enough they did he weighed 304 at the combine 319 coming to rookie minicamp that's where they're wanting him to be in that low 320s range so that he can play that more traditional nose tackle role and this is a player rob you look at what he did in the sec not a lot of pass rushing production but when he was in the middle of the defensive line good luck moving this guy even with double
1: teams yeah, exactly. I mean, he plays that traditional kind of 3-4 nose guard role very, very well just because he is as strong as he is. Um, and and he's not a sluggish man. I mean, this isn't a guy who is going to be able to generate a great deal of interior pass rush, but, you know, he can push the pocket back. He, um, he does have very long arms. And I think that you will see a, a greater uh, focus on getting his arms up into the air and being able to potentially be able to tip some passes here in in Seattle then, um, than we saw at the college level, where that was not necessarily one of his strengths. So again, I think that for a guy that played as much football against the level of competition in which Cam Young played at Mississippi State against SEC competition, I still think that there is some, some room for improvement. Um, and then you talked about, again, just his, his body type, the fact that Seattle does feel you know, confident they're going to be able to keep that extra 15 to 20 pounds, extra weight than what he had played previously. You can just look at his frame and see that he does have the body type for that. He's got very broad shoulders. He's got very long arms. He's got a, a thick lower half, but still some room where he might be able to add to that. He plays with great leverage. So again, there is a lot of reasons to suggest that he might be able to play immediately and I have a great deal of confidence in his uh, you know long-term upside as well. But I, I, you, you you nailed it though when you, you mentioned the fact that I was among those who was very much surprised by Seattle way until of the fourth round, I think that that's one of the reasons why you've seen the Seahawks basically have to kind of, you know, chase that defensive tackle or nose guard position since. And once the Seahawks made the decision not to make that a little bit more of a priority, that's why we've seen so many free agents after the draft, um, veterans as well as, uh, you know, young players uh, that have been signed because Seattle is trying to, uh, you know, fill in that big gaping hole in the middle.
0: And John Schneider talked about this, I believe it was on his show on Seattle sports that he did. I think he did eight episodes leading up to the draft. And he talked about the nose tackle position being a spot. The Seahawks felt that they could put a rookie into the lineup and it would be an easier transition. And so, They're going to be testing that out with Cameron Young, because right now, the way way things are set up, Brian Monet is not doing anything in practice. He is at OTAs, but not participating. Not a surprise. He's coming back from an ACL injury. He had some other issues with his knee as well. This was not just a clean ACL tear. That could put his start of the season in serious jeopardy, And so that would mean right now, Cameron Young, he is going to be your starter in the middle, and the more tape that I've watched, the things that really jump out to me, John Schneider mentioned heavy hands, and we see that get thrown around a lot. But this guy, he's throwing cinder blocks for hands. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the long arms on top of it. So when you've got those heavy, thumping hands that you can fire into opposing lineman's frame, and then you've got the long arms to extend, those are two things that are key to being able to hold up in the line of scrimmage, not just against single blocks, but double team blocks as well and I think he's going to benefit Matt Barry was talking about this Jim Nagy was talking about this he played in a scheme at Mississippi State where they were asking him to regularly slant and that's just not really catering to his play style as far as I'm concerned this is a bigger bodied guy that's better when he's just powering his way forward and we've seen that rushing the passer too he had a pretty low pass rush win rate just 6.7 percent But I do think it'll be a little bit better if he's in a scheme where he's allowed to bull rush more. He's not as focused on those slants as what Mississippi State was doing. I think that's going to help him in the run game too because at least based on what I've seen on the film, he's at his best when he's able to set that heavy anchor and he's able to really disrupt the middle by stuffing up space. He could make some plays on ball carriers as well, maybe a few more missed tackles than he would like. But this is a guy that had some productivity in the run game aside from just opening things up for defenders behind him. He made some tackles. He made some plays in the backfield. And so this is a player that I see a lot of those prerequisite tools that you are looking for at the nose tackle position. The biggest question marks are going to be how quickly does he adapt to playing against NFL competition, NFL power. That's another step up there. And are you going to get anything in the pass rushing department from him? Because for the most part, that was a non-factor at Mississippi State. But, as I said, right now, this is his starting job to lose with Brian Monet being out because they just don't have very many big bodies. A lot of their nose tackles are of the smaller variety. They've got Forrest Morrell is 332 pounds. But aside from that, most of these guys are in the lighter end. So this is a prime opportunity for him to come in as a fourth-round pick and not only play a lot but start games in Seattle's 3-4 defense.
1: Yeah, I, I I kind of mentioned this a moment ago, Corbin. That you know Seattle's throwing some bodies in there, and I'm kind of curious to see how this uh, you know kind of filters out. Um, you know, one of the the nose guards that I was excited about, Robert Cooper, was released today when, when Seattle uh, signed the quarterback Artie Burns, as we talked about before. But you know Latrell Bumpus from from Tennessee, um, Austin Faliu, uh from Oregon, and, and just uh, here recently with the Seattle Sea Dragons as well. Though um, they have some girth too. Man, and you mentioned Forrest Merrill, uh, Murrell, or I'm not sure if it's Merrill or Morrell. I apologize, but I just know this is a big, big man. I actually got a chance to see him. Um, you know, I went down to LA and watched the Chargers uh training camp last summer. Uh, th- this is a big man and he's powerful. I remember his college tape as well. And, and so, he is that again, again, another kind of traditional three, four nose guard. And while I'm as excited about Cam Young as anybody, as you mentioned, I mean, he was a guy that I kind of locked in on. as I thought that he would make an awful lot of sense for any club, Seahawks or otherwise, that were looking for a run stuffer in the middle rounds. You know, you know, I've locked in on guys like that in the past, Leckie Fautu being one of them, um, Greg <laughs> you know, Gaines being another one in the past years so of guys that I just thought, hey, these are good physical football players that make some sense. The same thing here with Merrill. Um, this is a good football player. This is a big physical sucker. So if, if that's what Seattle needs, if, if they decide that they are looking for that, just that traditional nose guard, and they're going to complement him with a bit of a more of a pass rushing type, maybe it's a Jonah Tavai, Maybe it's uh, bringing Draymond Jones in inside more. Maybe it's Miles Adams, whatever Seattle decides to do. If they're looking for a run stuffer, big force absolutely can clog up the middle as well.
0: And I liked what I saw from him a couple years ago. I was able to go back and watch. He played in a couple games for the Chargers and made a few tackles. Last year he was injured, didn't play any snaps. So this is a guy that has shown some things in the NFL. Very brief stints, obviously. He's not played a lot of snaps, but he is one I'm intrigued by. But I do think it's fascinating when you look at this defensive line depth chart, it does seem like Seattle is going a little different direction. At the nose tackle position, because you mentioned Bumpus from Tennessee, a former tight end, he started his college career as a tight end and moved to defensive tackle. They're listing him at 280 pounds on their roster as a nose tackle. Jonah Tavai is five ten, 283 pounds. Folio is under 300 pounds. So none of those guys are that big bodied, girthy nose tackle that we have seen the Seahawks employ with Al Woods and Brian Monet and some of those guys. I mean, even Puna Ford is much bigger than those three names that I just mentioned. And so aside from Young and Merrill, there's not a lot of that girth in the middle, that mass that we've typically seen. So That may mean that we're going to see some schematic shifts in terms of how they're using the nose tackle position, or it could just be an instance where they are trying to find a guy like maybe a Tavai that can be a situational nose, that his quickness and his pass rushing ability can be an asset for this defense. And they do a bit more mixing and matching. Maybe this becomes a nose tackle by committee type situation. So I'm fascinated. I'll just say that. I'm fascinated because this is – Not normally what we see the last couple of years. Seattle's usually got four or five 320 plus pound guys competing at this spot. This year, they've got two players of that size and the rest are under 300 pounds for the most part. And so maybe a little bit different style of body to fit maybe some minor scheme changes the Seahawks are going to be making. And so again, I'm fascinated to see what ends up happening there, especially when the pads come out, we will have a little better idea. Maybe they'll still make some additions there as well. Three-tack, it feels like they're in better shape, especially after adding Mario Edwards. You've got more proven experience and guys that fit the prototype build-wise. But nose tackle, they're going a little bit different direction. They're zagging when everybody else is zigging at that spot. And so I am curious to see how that ends up playing out. All right, let's shift gears here to the other side of the line. And the Seahawks have a couple positions that are going to be up for grabs along the offensive line going into training camp they're going to have a new starting center for the third straight season the fourth time in five years it has been a revolving door at the pivot position and at right guard phil haynes is going to get his first legitimate opportunity to be a starter he's going to get pushed at that spot though let's start with our way too early predictions here at the center position rob for you and i weigh in we got to let the 12 speak and man What a vote we had on this topic. Who is going to start in week one for the Seahawks on Twitter and YouTube? Looking at the results. We had almost a 1,000 votes today from you, our diehard listeners. 63.5% of you said Olu Oluatimi, the fifth-round pick out of Michigan, will be starting against the Rams in week one. 36.5% 36.5% said Evan Brown. Now, on Twitter, Brown had a little higher percentage. YouTube, it was more swaying towards Oluatimi, But both of them were pretty lopsided with Olutimi going over 60% on both of them, Rob. So the 12s believe that the rookie is going to win this job. So let's talk about why oluatimi has got a great opportunity to win this starting job. because You don't see fifth-round picks come in often and win starting jobs. But you also don't see fifth-round picks come in with Remington Awards and Outland Awards either.
1: You took the words right out of my mouth there, buddy. You don't see very many fifth-round picks who were, you know, four-year starters um, and were finalists for the Remington Award um, at a different program and then transferred there as a, you know, as a senior um, to Michigan, where not only did he wind up winning that award, of course, but Michigan won the the Joe Moore Award as the best offensive line in all of football, and you know, wound up uh, playing, going to the playoff, and all of that kind of stuff. And so, I, I think that the biggest thing with Oluwatimi and why that he does not have the disadvantage that a lot of rookies do is of course that Evan Brown is new to Seattle as well uh, and so there is not that incumbent with that head start that you normally see I mean maybe Joey Hunt and obviously there's going to be some familiarity there but um, you know he just doesn't have the the size that I think that Seattle would prefer Otherwise, I think that he would have had more opportunities previously. Um, so I do think that this is going to basically be a two-man race um, between Evan Brown and Oluwotimi. I think the Oluwotimi's upside is higher. Obviously, he's, ext- he's he's got a four-year contract, and Evan Brown's got a one-year deal. So sometimes it can it really can be that simple. That said, the one thing I will say here is as pro-ready as I think the Oluwotimi is, I'm still going to come back to the fact that when the NFL season actually begins, regular season, the Seattle Seahawks are going to start off facing is Aaron Donald. And you ask yourself this question: Do you want an NFL rookie out there, um, you know, at that position? And, and so that's why I think that when it's all said and done, I still think that Olamide is the better football player. I think he's going to prove that out. But if I'm going to mix my sports analogies here for a moment, Corbin. You know, in baseball, if they, they say that the tie goes to the runner, well, in football, in this case, for me at least, the tie would go to the veteran. Oluwatimi doesn't have to win this job for my in my opinion. If he's going to be the starter and opening day, he's got to seize the job. It's got to be dominant from the get go, in my opinion. Otherwise, I think you go with the veteran, and then if that something struggles, if there's any kind of issues with Evan Brown, the Oluwatimi comes back and you give him the job as the year goes on. And, it's, and you view like that as like progress rather than the opposite. If you start with Oluwatimi and he struggles a little bit and you have to bring in the veteran to kind of save him, then I think that that can kind of get into the mindset of a young player, even one as pro-ready, as polished, as mentally strong as Oluwatimi has proven himself to be.
0: I kind of dove into this pond a little bit on our bonus episode that I did yesterday. But this is such an intriguing competition because a lot of times when you see a rookie coming in along the offensive line going against a veteran that was signed free agency, a lot of times it's a 30, 31, 32-year-old veteran that's on a one-year deal. That's usually what happens. But in this case, you've got a 26-year-old Evan Brown who is probably like Olutimi in the sense that it feels like there's still some untapped potential there. I mean, he started 24 games the last two years, but he's only had one year that he's been a full-time starter at center. And, oh, by the way, stepping in for Frank now, he gave up eight pressures and a sack in 2021. He was fantastic in pass protection. Now, he did not have that same success at right guard last year for the Lions. And sometimes it's as simple as a player just is meant to play one position and sliding over. He just didn't look comfortable there necessarily, but you watch the film. He had one start at center last season, no pressures allowed against the commanders who, oh, by the way, have a pretty darn good interior defensive line. And so I think that does give him an advantage here in the sense that he is still an ascending player. You don't see that very often where you bring in a veteran, a one-year deal, but he's only 26. And so there's still the opportunity that if everything clicks he might still be your long-term starter. He's got that kind of a situation in front of him. At the same time, he's got a one-year deal. If he plays great, the Seahawks might be like, you know what, we don't want to pay you. What other teams might be willing to pay you? And you mentioned the four years on a rookie contract, a fifth-round rookie contract. Oh, a team he's going to be very affordable for the next four years. And so that is something that really plays into his favor. And I know, as you mentioned with Aaron Donald being in week one, that that is the worst case scenario to throw a rookie into the fire. And I would agree with you 99% of the time. I'm not going to agree with you on this one, though, because I just think, oh, there's never going to be a center coming into the league. I'm just saying this right now, statistic wise and film wise, he might not be the most talented center that you're going to see. If he was, he would have been drafted earlier, but I think he's much better than a fifth round pick anyway. This is a guy that had 3,500-plus snaps in college football. He played in an air raid and a pro style, was equally dominant in both of them. If there is a rookie that can come in week one, and let's face it, there's not a center in the league that can dominate Aaron Donald. You're going to get beat by him. But if there's a guy that you can throw into the fire in week one as a rookie in that type of a situation that at least can give you a fighting chance, and you know the effort's going to be there. You know he's going to have his line mates ready with line calls and stuff, that it's going to be Oluwatimi. So I really think this is going to be a back and forth battle, though. I have Oluwatimi starting week one, but I could see this one really going either way. This truly is a roll of the dice because I do like Evan
1: Brown a lot as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, just. A couple of days ago, Corbin, you and I talked about what were we most excited about with the OTAs. And just from the jump, I mean, this is the competition that I really want to watch. And I I know that shows what a football geek I am, that I, I want to watch interior line play, not the quarterbacks, not the skill positions. Yeah, I want to watch interior line play. That's where Rob, I the
0: real the real fans, that's that's the sexy competition to watch. Those are the guys <laughs> that win football games for you.
1: Exactly and that's where Seattle was absolutely deficient a year ago on both sides of the line of scrimmage and so if this team really does have aspirations of playing deeper into the playoffs and that's where the improvement has got to come and um you know i i, I had this smile on my face as you're kind of you know uh just kind of explain why you thought the old team may may wind up taking this job i, I agree with you 100 i mean I, I love the player and i think that the only reason that he was available as late as he was in the fifth round is because he is basically a center only i mean uh you know i think it was matt berry perhaps jim nagy as well but i know that matt Barry mentioned this uh, when he joined us that uh again is that position only um that uh, whereas some of the other centers in this class did have a, bit, a little bit of positional versatility and, and i'll say this i mean the center i really thought that would make a lot of sense for the seahawks was joe tippman from wisconsin but Tipman, as a redshirt sophomore only had those two years of starting experience i would have been less comfortable with a player at that inexperience especially when coming off an injury like Tipman was um or tippman is than ola Waitimi. so Uh, And John Michael Schmitz, he's got that positional versatility. That's one of the reasons why his stock was a little bit higher. And he wound up obviously getting drafted much, much earlier. So I do love Olawatimi. I I do think that this is going to wind up being a heck of a selection for the Seahawks. I just want to see him again sees that job um throughout training camp and i i'm fascinated to see how it goes because i think the evan brown as well as joey hunt again i'm gonna mention him again i, I think that this is going to be a real fun competition i think all three of them have the mental ability to be able to pull this off hunt i think is a little bit of the underdog obviously at his side but still uh, I, when you talk about the, uh, experience and the familiarity with the offense, he is the one guy that does have that advantage and he's obviously on Seattle's roster for a reason. They see something.
0: Yeah. I'm not going to throw Joey hunt into this competition. And I know Pete Carroll has talked about him and it's not anything against the player, but he is not going to be starting for this team next year. He, Probably isn't going to be on the fifty-three man roster now. Maybe they keep him around on the practice squad because teams now can have veterans on there. He's too small. That that's just the gist of it. He's not a good enough athlete to compensate for that either. And there's a reason he's bounced around off practice squads. And again, this is no disrespect to him because he's been in the league for quite some time. He's lasted a lot longer than most people thought he was going to. He started some games in the NFL. But this is a two-horse race between two players in Brown and Oluwatimi, who quite frankly. From a strength standpoint, in terms of skill set, I see a lot of similarities in their game. I don't think either one of them are necessarily maulers, but they can both drive guys off the line of scrimmage. They play with physicality. They set a firm anchor. They're not guys that are going to get bull rushed very easy. They both have had some issues at different levels with playing outside of a phone booth whenever they have to deal with athletic pass rusher. I mean, there's a lot of similarities between these two guys but I think if all is even, that that four-year rookie contract and the fact you're talking about a kid that was the Remington Award winner, the Outland Award winner, I just see this playing out similar to what it was like last year at the right tackle position. Although Curhan, I think we felt like Lucas was going to win that job more so. It has a similar flavor, and then I could see Brown opening training camp and then eventually Oluwatimi seizing that job for him. We'll see what ends up happening as the offseason program progress this, but that's where I stand right now. I think Oluwetimi is going to be starting in week one. I wouldn't be shocked if Brown ended up holding onto the job because of what I've seen on the film, but I just feel like this is Oluwetimi's job to lose. Go out, get it done. You already are making line calls and stuff. I just, I feel like it is leaning in his direction. But as I said, these two guys are such similar players. And I think that's a good thing. I think that that is valuable because you know what kind of players that Andy Dickerson wants. He's clearly identified a veteran and a rookie that both have the qualities he's looking for. Both these guys can block zone and gap schemes. They're both very heady, smart guys. So that's what's going to make it fun is this is a really even battle between a ascending 26-year-old and an incoming rookie that is a very decorated fifth-round pick.
1: No, very decorated. And um, you know, as you just mentioned here with, with Andy Dickerson, I think that Dickerson, rightfully so, is feeling pretty confident right now with with the success that they have the two rookie office tackles a year ago. So I don't think that the that Seattle would have the hesitancy to start a rookie center the way that a lot of clubs I think would. Um so I again I think they have Olawatimi. Does win the job? I, I think the Seattle yeah, will give him that job. I, I think that there's. I, I don't think that the that, that Pete Carroll, as old school as he is, is Kirk Ferentz, Iowa. There's you know we talked so much uh, in the pre-draft process about Lucas Van Ness the fact that he didn't start because there was upperclassmen ahead of them. Clearly, with the way that the Seahawks have prioritized youth and best player plays. Uh, mentality since Pete Carroll has been there that is going to be their mentality but again I just think uh, you know just a little bit of respect of of the opponent in in week one I do think that Evan Brown is likely to be the starter to start the season Um, and and then I wouldn't be surprised if Olavutini winds up wrestling that starting job away from as the season goes on Uh, and I do believe that he is the long-term center of uh, the future for the Seahawks we'll
0: see what happens. We're going to have several opportunities to revisit this as we get through OTAs, mandatory mini camp and of course get into training camp to see where this competition is trending, which players getting the edge. Again, it's going to be a really fun competition, one that I'm already watching very closely and it's just going to continue to heat up as we get towards July and august as always you can follow me on twitter corbin smith nfl you can follow rob at rob rang subscribe and follow locked on seahawks on youtube and wherever you listen to your podcast to ensure you don't miss a single episode coming up tomorrow for our everydayers we are going to be dishing out our first 53 man roster projections of the spring dallas cooper and i will be looking at offense defense and special teams Plus, the last three in, first three out, making it a little bit March Madness themed here in May. Should be a fun episode. You won't want to miss it. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Go Hawks.